Hello and welcome to Accountability Talks with AGA. I'm your host, Paul Marshall. Today we've got James Tawney and Robbie Yu from the Treasury, and we're talking all about artificial intelligence and some uh, experimental work they've been doing there and related to Treasury warrants. And uh, it's pretty interesting uh, what you can do with just some open source software and uh, a couple smart folks. So why don't we listen in and learn a little about their AI project. Hello and welcome to the podcast. All right. So today, an exciting topic. I always love talking about artificial intelligence and those kinds of projects. So we do have a very interesting uh, topic today, I think. Um, We're going to be talking about some work that the Treasury Fit Office has been doing around AI. And uh, to talk with us today, we have two folks here. We got James Tawney and Robbie Yu. So why don't uh, we have you all introduce yourself? Just tell us you know, who you are, what you do, what your role was on this project. Um, so why don't we start off with James? Thank you, Paul, and uh, th- thanks for having us uh, today. Uh, my name is James Tawney, and I am a Presidential Management Fellow at the Bureau of the Fiscal Service, uh, which I joined in September 20, uh, 2020, that is, uh, which is certainly an interesting time to start a new job. Uh, prior to fiscal, I-, I spent a number of years in management and operations consulting, and at fiscal service, I'm in the Office of Financial Innovation and Transformation, uh, FIT, and I served as project manager on the warrant or a project manager on the warrant project. Great. And uh, how about Robbie? Yeah. Hi, Paul. Um, also, yeah, again, thanks so much for having us. So I am the product owner for our research and analytics team. Um, this team resides within the office of the chief data officer. Um, I believe our actual chief data officer, Justin, has been on this podcast before. Um, so our role with this project was really on the technical side. Um, working with the data, choosing the algorithms, um, and training the algorithm. Thanks. Great. Well, good. We'll dive right into it. And yes, uh, Justin's been on the podcast. Hope he comes back later. Love having uh, him on here. So uh, why don't we start off? uh, I think we're going to have James kick it off here. Can you give us a little overview of this project? Um, You know, it involves uh, the warrants, uh, Treasury uh, warrants, and, um, you know, Tell us a little bit about, you know, what what was the project? What were you all trying to do? How does the process work currently? And how do you think, how did you think AI could uh, improve the process? Sure. Uh, so our, our starting place with the project was, well, the Bureau has a number of years of experience uh, across multiple projects with RPA, uh, robotic process automation. So let's look at, uh, building institutional familiarity with some other automation tools. And specifically, uh, let's look at uh, artificial intelligence technologies and and techniques. And knowing that we wanted to explore AI, we asked about the Bureau looking for some suitable use cases and and landed on the process for identifying and creating treasury warrants. And with, with this use case, we set out to answer two big questions. And those were, can artificial intelligence uh, improve the currently manual process of creating treasury warrants? And is it possible to train an algorithm to interpret appropriations appropriations legislation language and correctly predict the three 
primary components of a treasury warrant. And um, for, for those who aren't familiar with a treasury warrant, and I, I certainly wasn't before joining fiscal service, uh, c Congress appropriates funds for agency programs through a legislative act and appropriate meaning to provide budget authority. Um, so Congress appropriates the funds and publishes the legislation and a team of accountants at the Bureau of the Fiscal Service, which uh, resides within Treasury, uh, will interpret the appropriations legislation to understand the valid Treasury account from which to draw that funding, as well as the amount of funding and the period over which the funding is available. And this interpretation is, is currently a manual process of uh, downloading published legislation, reading and reviewing it, annotating the appropriate elements, and then creating the Treasury warrant by manually entering those key elements into a Treasury database known as CARS. And um, so, so that's what a warrant is, and at a high level, what the existing manual process is. Uh, as for why we chose warrants, uh, although creating warrants certainly requires quite a bit of knowledge and experience from our accounting team, it's a process that can be explained at a medium or high level uh, to a lay person in a, a relatively short amount of time, which I think is a necessary quality when you're trying to build uh, familiarity with artificial intelligence or, or any set of technologies really, uh, and to understand its applicability. And secondly, the, the process has a defined beginning and end. And finally, it's a, it's a process for which we had a lot of data, um, maybe not always available or as available as we had hypothesized at the, at the start of the project, but uh, it certainly seemed that there would be a sufficient abundance of machine-readable data. And, and what I mean by machine-readable is data that can be understood by a computer. And a couple things that I would note are we, we didn't set out with the expectation of automating the end-to-end -end process. Uh, but rather with the expectation of uh, automating or using automation um, in the form of artificial intelligence to improve the existing process. And, and on a related note, we weren't trying to automate away uh, any of the human resources of the Bureau. The goal was to develop um, an AI prototype uh, that would make our accountants' lives easier and for the computer to work collaboratively with the human. Right. And just to be clear, so, you know, you explained pretty well on appropriation and, you know, a human would go in there and actually read the language because this is written in paragraph format. It's not just a chart with numbers in it, correct? Correct. Um, and the, the language of the legislation um, varies quite a bit uh, in terms of complexity. And, and so in some parts of the legislation, there will be a, a clear dollar amount uh, for a very clear um, agency program. And in, in other cases, there, there are multiple dollar amounts and you have to determine uh, which dollar amounts are relevant and which are not. Um, and, and, and still other cases, there's no a, a dollar amount. And you're just looking at uh, language such as um, sums as necessary. And so there's quite a bit of human interpretation required to understand uh, the intent of the legislation. 
Right, and that basically leads to my next question. Uh, I want to get Robbie in the conversation here. You know, why did you all decide to explore AI technology versus just RPA, something you had used before? For sure, yeah. I think that's that's a question we get a lot at the bureau. Um, and yeah, so RPA, um, which I believe is robotic process automation, is primarily about giving rules for a machine to follow. So um, you know, if you see this, do this, then if you see this, do this. Um, it's like a decision tree, right? It's very clear. Um, we who are creating the algorithm um, or the decision tree tell the computer what to follow. But comprehending text, as James was describing, is very complicated, right? Trying to figure out which dollar signs and values are important, which are relevant. Um, so with artificial intelligence and machine learning, instead of giving rules for the machine to follow, we actually just give the machine a whole bunch of data and then tell it what the quote unquote right answers are. And then the, the algorithm figures out the rules. So it sees the raw data, it sees what values are important, what are the relevant purposes, what are the right titles. And then it figures out like how to get there through this very complicated you know, behind the scenes process. Um, so it was perfect here because RPA just wouldn't be able to handle such a complicated task like um, comprehending and understanding an appropriations bill. Right. And then, so you all decided on the AI tools and, uh, I think James was going to help us with this one again. So, you know, what, what you were there from the beginning, I believe you told me before. So what was your process to choose the right tool? Sure. Uh, so I'd say the goal from the beginning was to, as far as possible, use open source coding and annotation tools uh, in order to limit costs, ma- manage and condense procurement times, and and work with and, and develop familiarity with tools that have uh, a, a universality to them. And I, I don't think we were ever locked into we have to use open source tools. But that was always the goal, and unfortunately, I think that's a goal that we've been able to achieve. And so, um, th- thus far with the project, we've relied entirely on um, open source. And uh, as for the the specific AI techniques and approaches, there was definitely some trial and error, if you will, as, as we explored different uh, mathematical and AI techniques and. We, before we eventually settled on the approaches that we did for identifying and extracting the, um, the, the, those three key components of, uh, of a warrant. Um, and, and we used, a hybrid might not be the right word, but we used a combination of both um, AI technologies, so using machine learning, natural language processing, as well as uh, non-AI uh, techniques such as um, let's see pattern matching and statistical methods so that takes me to the next question you know how many people did you need to to do this and what kind of skill sets did those folks have so I, I'd say we had a uh, arguably surprisingly small team and and really the the core of it were two data scientists. Uh, one of whom has extensive experience across 
the federal government with both machine learning and, and natural language processing. And uh, the other data scientists, um, in addition to that AI experience, had um, a teaching background, which was really helpful in, in keeping sort of the technical side of the team as well as the, the more business side of the team on the same page. And then, of course, supporting or, and working with the two data scientists, we had um, four members from our accounting team who were helping us to understand the existing process and, and provide feedback, uh, as well as a couple resources, uh, including Robbie from the Office of the Chief Data Officer, and a couple resources from my office, uh, Financial Innovation and Transformation. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Just a couple folks and more data scientists versus, uh, you know, folks that are experts in one particular tool. Um, you know, maybe let's go a little bit into, uh, I did want to understand a little bit about what the tool did. How did it work? Was it, you know, you said trial and error and eventually did you all get to a point where it was working pretty well and what were maybe some lessons that you started to learn from that? So to, to recap the project at a high level, I'd, I'd say you can divide our work into roughly four steps or, or phases over the course of about four months for the, for the initial phase of work, uh, although it's continued since then. And uh, it's important to note, I think, that the majority of the time spent developing our AI prototype hasn't involved any AI technology at all. And, and so what I mean by that is, um, well, first, the, the team downloaded PDFs of appropriation bills, which are published at signing, and we extract and prepare the data so that it becomes um, machine readable, which, uh, as I mentioned earlier, means that the computer can understand the information. Um, and, and then secondly, the, the team extracted and prepared information on what are known as treasury account symbols. Uh, which are the indicators for the specific treasury account from which funds will be drawn. Um, and we extracted this information, again, from, from a PDF format, um, which, as anyone who's ever tried to copy and paste text from a PDF knows, is not uh, an ideal format. And uh, these TAS symbols indicate the valid accounts um, uh, at treasury. And so... Uh, from those treasury symbols, uh, we used, or for those symbols, we applied um, a combination of machine learning and NLP techniques, uh, as well as some non-AI statistical measures to compare the bill text uh, against that store of, of TAS information. Uh, and we're able to match um, where in the legislative text those valid accounts appear. Uh, or are alluded to. And then finally, after identifying the valid accounts, uh, we we had two more um, components of a warrant to identify, uh, those being the dollar amount and the period of availability. And these two components are a little more complex than the account. And so the team adopted two complementary approaches for identifying them, the first being pattern matching uh, and the second being a natural language processing-based uh, approach uh, known as named entity recognition, NER, uh, for those who might be familiar with it. And, and the reason for these dual approaches was, uh, as I mentioned, just the sheer variety across legislative text in terms of complexity. And so 
uh, one approach was was simpler or was more suitable for for simple text where uh, there's really not a lot of text to distract the computer, if you will. Uh, while the other approach, um, the NLP-based approach, was more suitable for when you had a lot of context to, to guide the algorithm. Yeah, and so I guess from there, maybe, Robert, do you want to jump in a little bit more on that and, and maybe just talk about, you know, because you're, you're kind of trying to get this out the door now, right? You're still trying to finalize this project. Where are you along those lines and what have your, you know, what, what are kind of the next steps as far as, you know, finalizing the, the actual tool? For sure. Um, so, yeah, like James talked about now that we've you know, looked at different algorithms and the best way to um, process the text, you know, using named entity recognition, um, that wasn't our initial, um, our initial approach, but that's what we ended up with. So now that we've figured this all out, we, we have two next steps. Uh, the first one is improving the model. The model is already rather successful. I think it has about an 80% accuracy rate overall, um, which is great and helpful to the warrants team. But one thing is we want to ensure it's as accurate as possible and also as accurate as possible with new bills. So for the pilot, we were only able to train the algorithm on three separate appropriations bills. So right now we're working on having interns label older appropriations bills from 2019, 2018, you know, going back. So that way we can feed more data into the model because the more data that the model sees, the better it's going to get both with the data it's seeing, but also with unknown appropriations bills that might come in the future. So that's the first step. The second step is building some sort of interface for the Warren's team to actually interact with. So how are they going to interact with the model? Because right now, um, the mo- as James said, the model isn't replacing the analysts. So it's not doing all their work for them. So if it's 80% effective, you know, sometimes it's going to be more effective, sometimes it's going to be less effective. What is helpful for the actual um, analyst doing the work? Do they want to, you know, copy and paste a paragraph of the appropriations bill into some sort of website and then have the, the model run and then output what it thinks are the right answers and, and, a, cert- and a confidence interval um, along with that, um, for instance, maybe they put in the paragraph and the model says, you know, it's 95% that this is the total appropriation. And then the analyst can confirm that and enter it into cars and the warrant system. Um, other times, maybe the model will say, this is the appropriation amount we identified, but we're only 30% confident. In this case, maybe the warrant analyst spends more time reviewing the appropriations test before entering it into cars in the warrant system. So, so yeah, that's the second step is all about working really closely with those subject matter experts to say, how can we give the model to you in a way that's going to help you make your job faster, um, but also not make your job any less accurate? Because they have a very high bar of having to be 100% accurate all the time. Right. And then, you know, as far as lessons from this project so far, I mean, how did the analysts react to the the tool you all created was a, a success right away or were there some things that you maybe you, you thought you should have done a different way if you had thought about it before you know yes for sure i think the, the warrants team has been great to work with this whole time they've been really patient with us explaining to us the process the different intricacies um but i also think they've been pretty excited about the potential of the project and when we meet they do seem i'm um, really interested in how 
how they can use this like, pretty accurate model to help their day-to-day -day job. Um, but we did come out with a handful of, of lessons learned more broadly. Um, did you want me to speak to those right now also? Yes, that'd be great. Okay, great. So let's see. I break it down into maybe four lessons learned. So the first one James already touched about, um, which is investment. Testing new technology does not always require um, a significant upfront investment. You know, we used purely open source tools here, so it was all free to us. And then, like James said, we, we hired two data scientists. So this wasn't a heavy resource lift. Um, the second one, which has been a thread this whole conversation, is that high-quality data is really important. Um, when we were talking about the difference between RPA and AI, um, we were talking about how the algorithm learns from the data. So making sure we're giving the algorithm high-quality data is really important. Um, and finding you know, that high-quality machine-readable data um, isn't as always as easy as, as we might think. Um, the third lesson learned was implementation, which is similar to what I was just speaking about regarding the, the UI interface, is that because the model wasn't going to be replacing the whole process, um, it was important to start early on thinking about what is the final product going to look like. You know, if we can create a model that's 80% accurate, is that helpful to the Warrens team? Maybe it's not, in which case we don't want to go forward with that in that direction. And we really have to rethink about what, what is going to help these people on the ground. Um, and the fourth point, the lesson we learned um, actually more towards the end on this project is that the high-tech solution isn't always the best solution. You know, in the office of the chief data officer, sorry, in the office of the chief data officer, um, we were very excited about piloting advanced analytics, and this is something we're continuing to look into. Um, and we're sure there's plenty of opportunities where advanced analytics can help the bureau, um, but maybe it's not always the answer. You know, maybe there is a lower-tech solution if we look at the business processes a little closer, work a little bit more with um, Congress and GPO. Um, maybe there's a lower tech solution that can get the analyst the right answer without using um, an advanced machine learning algorithm. Right. So is it fair to say an example would be, you know, if if these uh, appropriations were pro provided in a certain format that's easier to interpret, maybe you wouldn't need AI to interpret it for you. Or if they were to put things into a spreadsheet for you, you wouldn't have to do it. You know, just a simple example, but that kind of thing. Definitely. And then I think like you just mentioned, there are different levels to it, right? Like if Congress provided us a spreadsheet, you know, we wouldn't have to do most of the work and the analysts themselves, that would, a lot of their work would be done. Um, so that would be amazing. On the lesser end, it's also possible that instead of Congress publishing the appropriation documents in PDF, maybe they can provide them in a machine readable format early on and with the required tags that is helpful so we can still run the machine learning algorithm off that text, but we don't have to have that extra step which produces inaccuracies, um, which is converting the PDF text into something more machine readable. Right. You know, it's always fascinating how many uh, process improvements are really quite simple to, to make. You just have to, you know, get the right communications and get people to, to, to get on board with it. Fair enough. For sure. And, you know, it's a challenge because everyone's busy. Um, you know, a lot of these are old processes, but a lot of places just don't have the resources to, to spend time thinking about how do we create this machine readable. 
um, especially if they don't have people asking for it, right? Exactly. So, and you know, like things like this that FIT is doing and other agencies, I mean, in a way, it's kind of experimental anyway, right? You're trying out this idea on warrants. Um, maybe it's a relatively straightforward use case, but you know, you get more complex from here, you take on bigger challenges, you might just need different tools, but you learn along the way what works, what doesn't work, you know? So either way, I mean, this is all beneficial, I think. Um, and speaking to that, you know, where, I guess, Robbie too, where, where are you all with this? Is this something that may actually go live at some point soon or what are your uh, future? What's the future here? For sure. Um, on the broader scope of things, we're definitely hoping this will go live by um, in time for the next appropriations bill. Um, whether that's, you know, September or later this fall, who knows, um, but we're hoping to have those two steps completed. One, improving the model, two, building an interface for the analyst to actually interact with the model. Um, but thinking bigger, since this was our first machine learning project, um, here at OCDO, the Office of the Chief Data Officer, we are starting to work with other business areas to think about what are other opportunities, um, such as maybe building a fraud detection model or building a deep search model for some of our websites um, and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, great. I mean, I really appreciate you all uh, kind of giving us this uh, summary. Again, I'm very excited by the things that Treasury's doing, and I want to keep kind of showcasing that on the podcast. Um, but until then, maybe uh, just some final thoughts from each of you would be great. Um, maybe, James, you want to kick it off there. You've been a little silent here. So maybe, uh, I don't know, just give us kind of some final thoughts on the project, um, things you liked, things you might want to do in the future, things you'd like to see in the future. Sure. Um, final thoughts. I, I think for me, the the biggest takeaways from the project were one, um, as Robbie touched on, it was just very much a, a pleasant surprise uh, just how collaborative uh, the project was. And I, I think, you know, we had, um, we had our two data scientists, we had it, we had uh, the chief data officer, uh, as well as our accounting team. And I, I think, um, especially sometimes when an outside team is trying to improve your process, there can be uh, some resistance and, and defensiveness. And I really didn't experience that at all on this project, which was, which was incredible. Um, and then I think for me, the biggest lesson learned was, um, again, something Robbie touched on, which was, uh, the necessary the necessity of having high quality uh, data um, available right from the start. Um, you know, we, we hypothesized that we would have that. Uh, ran into some challenges there with when exactly um, tag fully tagged uh, machine readable data uh, is available versus um, the, the PDF format, and so. Um, really, I think the, the first thing you need to think about with um, these artificial intelligence advanced analytics projects is, is do you have the data? Um, and, and then looking forward, um, I, you know, I just really enjoyed this uh, experience with artificial intelligence, which was uh, personally for me, uh, my first experience with it. And, uh, you know, I've since been taking an AI, an AI course. Um, outside of work and 
in, in particular, I, I'm really interested in exploring the, the ethics of AI and how do we avoid replicating human biases into um, the AI tools that we're building. Definitely. Yeah, that's one of the most hot topics right now that you uh, see in all the AI forums is the ethics because it really is a big deal and it's a challenge. So, no, thanks for bringing that up. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we'll give Robbie the last word here again. Any final observations or, again, just anything you like to do in the future in this arena? For sure. I mean, this was a really exciting opportunity. I was really I'm glad to be brought onto this project Um and it's, it's really great to see fiscal service moving in this direction, thinking about, you know, how can we really leverage data as an asset and leverage advanced analytics with this data and recognizing that advanced analytics is definitely within reach as this Warren's project shows. Um, you know, there are so many interesting things that are, that are peripheral to, oh, sorry, there's so many interesting things that are peripheral to, um, advanced analytics. And, you know, James just men mentioned ethics and artificial intelligence. I think that's really interesting. That's something we're thinking about. Um, a couple other things we're thinking about in the office of the chief data officer is one, the data management side. Um, we had talked today about how important getting high quality data in machine readable formats is. So thinking about how can we set up data management and data policies so this there's a culture about high quality data in machine readable formats. So whenever we want to instigate a project, we don't have to go chasing down the data, figuring out the data pipeline. How do we get it? Do we have to read a PDF? Um, the second one, and one of our, our big tasks in OCDO right now, is being able to recognize opportunities for advanced analytics. So one of our initiatives has been going around to the different business areas, showing them examples of machine learning and artificial intelligence, and then having them brainstorm ideas. Because they're the experts, they're the ones who know the processes and what opportunities could benefit potentially from advanced analytics. We're just here to manipulate the data and build the algorithms. So building that, that knowledge base and that culture around advanced analytics, um, I think is a, is a big priority for us this next coming year. And I think um, we're gonna make a lot of progress and it's gonna be a lot, really exciting. Totally agree. And uh, again, thanks you both, uh, James, Robbie, for coming on the podcast. I think we learned a lot and uh, I'd be interested in uh, a year or two down the line, see what, what else you go, you guys have worked on and kind of give us a readout on that. I'm sure there's a lot of exciting things coming up. So once again, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much, Paul. This was really fun. Yeah, thank you, Paul. We'd love to be back. That's our show. Thanks for tuning in. AGACGFM.org. You know where to go for more Accountability Talks podcasts. As always, if you have some ideas, topics, guests, you know, who to contact. And uh, we're always looking forward to new and exciting shows for you all. But until then, this is your host, Paul Marshall, signing off for Accountability Talks with AGA.